0: Why don't you just stand for a moment? Just put your hand on the shoulder of someone. Oh, everyone links shoulders. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Now just say, Holy Spirit, come into this person's life. And do what you want to do. Amen. Amen there we go, much better. It is good to be with you. And I, uh, I was about to get up, my wife turns to me and she says, oh, you're smelly, huh? And then, uh, and then Shane rips me off on the way up anyway. It is with humility that I will smelly give this preach to you. And uh, it is great to be with you. You know, in the, in the Roger family, we have this motto that I don't suggest you apply to your family. Uh, it, it, it goes like this. In the Roger household, safe is a swear word. Not very responsible, I know, but I have issues. I spent most of my life working through fears. So, whether it was fear of snakes, some dude brought a python to my house when I was six. It took me years and years to get over it. Fear of bullies. Fear of uh, heights. I, I still struggle with fear of heights. I've tried everything. Jumping out of a plane doesn't help me. I'm still scared. Uh, I, I, have, I, had, I just have lots of fears. And so throughout my life, I decided I am going to attack fear. If there's a fear out there, I'm going after it. I'm going to walk through this darn thing. It was just my motto. So Grace and I, we said all the time, Ames and Jordy, less so. Uh, but uh, but the, the thought is this, that fear debilitates. And um, I was looking up the stats on, on fear, and, and what I realized from the stats is that people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two fear is death, which means they'd prefer to be in the casket than giving the eulogy, which is quite phenomenal. (laughs) But the social scientists of our day, they're saying that what happened during COVID is that there was a spike of fear because everybody was scared of losing their lives, losing income, just losing control, there was so much disruption. And then what happened is people started to get on top of that fear. So we had a a mental illness kind of rush through the entire world. Everybody got a little bit messed up. And then what happened is people woke up one day. And you remember the, the word during COVID that kind of got spread everywhere was pivot. You had to pivot your business. You had to pivot how you did life. It was basically you were doing business this way, now you have to do it this way. You were doing life this way, now you have to do it this way. And what had happened is that fear had run its course, and now people were starting to take control back of their lives. And then we came out of COVID, and everybody started to go, cool, now let's make up. Let's make up for all the money we lost. Let's make up for all the time we lost. Let's make up for all the disruption that's happened and all the ways the world's changed. Let's make up and catch up. And they came flying out of COVID. And we just started working harder. And we weren't just working harder. We were working smarter than we have, ever have before. We were using technology. We were using everything we could to work smarter and work harder. And we just, 90% of us, hit a wall. Some people succeeded. It was amazing. But most people just sprinted straight into a wall. Because the way the world was working, the economies, etc., cetera, that just kind of sucked The marrow out, and we were trying to milk it as though nothing had changed. We didn't know how to. And so the second wave of mental health issues is kind of popping up now all across the world. So social scientists are writing about this. They're talking about, they're using words like discouragement, or despair, or disillusionment, or hopelessness. These are the kind of words that are going around the world, not just South Africa. I know you think we're the worst and everything's worst here, but across the world, people are using this language because it's been hard. Now, today, I'm going to talk about how you get out of despair. See, the beautiful thing about the book of Hebrews, and, and we've had two phenomenal teachings on the book of Hebrews, but the beautiful thing about the book of Hebrews is that it speaks to the one sin that will destroy you. The one sin that is like cancer. The one sin. Everybody's like worried about this addiction or they're worried about the fact that they pull zaps at taxi drivers. They worry about lots and lots of little sin. But there is one sin underpinning all of it that the book of Hebrews says, if you give into that sin, after you've tasted the goodness of God, after you've heard the message, it's gotten to your heart, if you give into that sin, There's no real comeback. Everyone wants to know what the sin is. It's the sin of unbelief. Now, let me dive into the Scripture. This is a light start. Aren't you feeling happy after that beginning? I want to dive into a Scripture, and then I'm going to help you get out of the mess I've just made in your life right now. In Hebrews 3, verse 7, it says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He's quoting Psalm 95. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. So, if you're not a Bible person, here's what happens. God takes Israel out of Egypt. They go for 40 years. Should have been much less Through a wilderness, they get to a place where God says, I want you to go into the promised land. Ten spies go out. They come back and they go, this place is terrifying. There are giants there. There's fortified cities. Two spies come back and they say, man, you must see the grapes. It's kiff there. And what happens is they believe the wrong report and they give in to unbelief, to not believing God. And the Bible calls that a hardness of heart. When I stop believing God, it's called a hardness of heart. And then it says, be careful, brothers and sisters. It doesn't use this word careful many times in the Bible. But if you need to be careful about sin, be careful, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin or the sneakiness of sin. Because sin, it like sneakily gets in there and then tells you a lie and you believe the lie and then another lie and then your heart starts to get harder. It's just going like, sin is like sneaky. That's what it's saying. Don't get tricked by it. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence confidence firm to the end. Now listen, he wants to drive the sin. So he says in verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion when they let unbelief win. Then again, 18. And whom did God swear they will never enter my rest, if not for those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Right the way through, it just keeps saying this again and again and again. Watch out for unbelief. Now, let me tell you why this is so pertinent to the book of Hebrews before I come back to us. The, The people reading or hearing the book of Hebrews have gone through one persecution. In 1949, there was a guy by the name... I mean, 19, in 049, there was a, a, a guy by the name of Claudius. He was the Caesar at the time. Now, what people don't understand about the Caesars at the time is they didn't care who you worshipped in terms of gods. What they cared about is who you worshipped in terms of kings. You see, they called the Caesar's gods, because it's better to go into a battle when you're fighting for a god than when you're fighting for a man. So they went, Caesar is God, or they would call him the son of God. The problem with Christianity and what separated from all the other religions around is they went, Caesar's not God, Jesus is God. And so the Romans didn't see Christianity as just another religion, they saw it as a political party. That's scary. So now the political party they're seeing is starting to grow. And so Claudius wakes up one day, he goes, enough. And basically says, all of Rome, if you find a Christian, loot his home, kick him out, Christians out of this country. And off they had to go. It was actually out of the city. Off they went. They went. They, there was a diaspora. They, dis, they just dispersed right through the Roman Empire. They had to get out. Some were beaten, in fact, it says in 10 somewhere, remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible sufferings, they were beaten up. Some of you were exposed to public ridicule, they were mocked and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken away from you, you kept praising God. Here's what he's saying. So this happens in 049 AD. Then in 064, it's weird, 64 AD, another emperor emperor comes into place. His name's Nero. He was utterly cuckoo, completely nuts. And so he decided he wanted to upgrade Rome. And the way he would do it is he'd get some of his guys to burn down parts of Rome. Just burn that down, burn that down, burn that down. Don't really like the city center anymore. Just burn that down. And so he starts burning up parts of Rome. And then he blames the Christians for it. And as soon as that happens, persecution just breaks out. And so they start finding Christians and putting them on stakes and burning them. This is the world the Hebrews are in. Now, they've survived the first looting, but now a second looting hits them. And now they're going, enough. I can't do this anymore. And you know what happens when you when you pushed beyond your tolerance, when you go into a place of like hopelessness, despair. You want comfortable. I just want to go home. You ever felt like that? I know I'm 44 years old, but I just want to go home. I just want mom to cook for me. I just want to go back to the ways that we used to do things. I just wanna go back to familiarity. And so what these Christians are starting to do, coupled with conversations that they're having with family members who are going like, Brew, this Jesus isn't working for you. Maybe you should come back to temple worship. Maybe, and let's face it, we've felt this before. Jesus isn't coming through for me. Maybe I have to do something to get him to change. None of you have these thoughts. They're going back to religion. In their case, it's Judaism. But in our case, it's a religion. It's earning God's blessing or grace by something we add to Jesus. And so the writer is calling it unbelief. He's calling it for what it is. And he's going, if you go back there, you're in deep, deep soul trouble. Your spirit is getting cancer. This is what he's saying. Ooh, it's hectic now, but I've made you scared. Now I'm going to lead you out of your fear. It's, it's, a, it's a good start. So he says, he says a couple of things. I'm going to talk about three things you need to do if you get into unbelief. Because I, I, I heard about the shooting in, in Durban North on Friday. And because I'm on the UIP and I'm involved in all the stuff in Florida Road, I basically know if a pencil gets stolen. And uh, when you're that close to the action, man, it's quite easy for unbelief to creep in. Eh? Some of you know exactly what's going on in the economy. Man, it's easy for unbelief to get in. And so I thought to myself, I've got to lead people out. And so he says some stuff here, three points on how you get out of unbelief. He says, the first thing he says is, be careful of son. And then he says, exhort one another. First point, you need an exhorter. You have to find yourself an exhorter. Let me tell you how this works. I, um, I, you remember during COVID, we weren't allowed to go to the sea, but you were allowed to go fishing. Do, do Any of you remember this? So like every surfer is going to find out a way to get into the sea. So the way I found out was fishing. Now, I don't particularly enjoy fishing, but I thought to myself, let's get into fishing because the only way I'm going to get down there. So instead of fishing like a normal human on a fishing ski, I had a surf ski, which is one of those skinny things, so I decided to go fishing on my surf ski, and I didn't catch anything, and I didn't catch, and I didn't catch, and I didn't catch, and And eventually my mates could see that I was discouraged. So one of the exhorters, um, Daryl Hoffman, he he says to me, Ross, let's go fishing basically where it's impossible for you not to catch any fish. That's what he said. So he takes me fishing in Zunkwazi. And so out we go, and he shows me how to uh, put the whole lure thing together, and and we start fishing. And sure enough, within a few minutes, one of his rods goes, and he starts winding in, and I'm all excited. And as he's winding in, he goes, oh, man, a shark. So he pulls it up. It's only about this long. He says, won't you help me? So I grab some pliers, and we flick this thing off, and off it goes, swims away. So then my rod goes, and I start winding, I'm so excited, and flipping shark. So anyway, we, he comes along, helps me get it off. This keeps going, I get, you know, once you, when you catch your first shark, it's, it's quite fun. Second shark, less fun, third shark, I don't want to fish anymore. Fourth shark, this is stupid. So I get to number four shark. In fact, it wasn't a little shark. Number four shark <clears throat> got me really excited, because I heard my line just go, and I thought to myself, at last, I've got a cooter. And I start whining and whining, and I'm fighting like a mad thing, like a Zimbabwean on the sea. And I'm pulling, pulling, pulling. And the next thing, I just see this fin. It just goes, just keeps coming up. It's like, it's like this long. And, and I look at this fin, and I realize I'm not pulling it to me. It's pulling me to it. <laughs> and then, I mean, it's very funny, because you don't think that clearly when you're afraid. So instead of doing what any normal human would have done, which would be to cut the line, I put my rod down and start paddling so I can get away from it. Anyway, I I keep fishing because he keeps exhorting me. I have lost faith that there are any fish here because how can you have that population of sharks and fish? And so anyway, I've lost complete faith, but he exhorts me to keep going. So I keep fishing, get into another little shark. Now I'm so frustrated that I grab the pliers and I'm literally like shaking it. I just want this darn thing off. Sorry if you're an animal lover. I was angry. And, and as I shake it, it lands. So when you're on a, fish, a surf ski, you put your feet on either side of the, of the surf ski whilst you're sitting there. It lands directly in front of me and facing me. facing my soft bits, and uh, as I'm sitting there, what Daryl tells me, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what he tells me, he tells me, firstly, I screamed like a girl, and then I started splashing the shark. (laughs) He says this carried on for quite a long time before I finally came to my senses and grabbed its tail, and he said I threw it about 30 meters, which he didn't think was possible, (laughs) but he learned fear. But here's what exhorters do. Exhorters keep you in the game way past where you have faith. And you need an exhorter. Some of you need to be an exhorter. Some of you have gone through some stuff that other people don't think their marriage can cope with. But you've made it through. And now you need to exhort back. Some of you have, you know what, I love this congregation. I chat to business people in here who have lost everything, remade it, lost everything, remade it. Like, it's like a yo-yo, your life. I don't know how you don't look like you're 80 and a 30-year-old body. But I have seen people go through so much stuff. You know what, if you've gone through it, you should be an exhorter. Which is why you can't do this Christianity thing on your ace. It doesn't work. It's why we have groups. You know what life groups are for? they're literally there to force you to have exhorting conversations. Because somewhere down the line, it gets so hard that you need someone else who walked through the valley of the shadow of death to pull you through the valley of the shadow of death. You you need that. First thing, if you're gonna get out of unbelief, I'm, I'm flying through the first two so I can spend time on the third. If you're gonna get out of unbelief, You need an exhorter. And if they're old and gray, they've gone through stuff, they've forgotten the stuff that you're still about to go through. Go and find those people. That's deep wells of faith. There's a deep well of faith over there. He has gone through so much, that man. He has lost so much. He still loves Jesus. I can just show you, person after person in this congregation, they just have deep wells because they've survived it. Go find yourself an exhorter. Second thing, and now we're gonna, we're gonna fly. He says, and I've gone from seven down, I'm gonna go back to, to verse one. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Just sit to that word, just consider, just think about Jesus. And then he says, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son of God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Okay, I'll explain that in a moment. But let's just start to the beginning. He says, consider. If you want to get out of unbelief, you have to consider Jesus. And then he gives us a few things to consider. So he says, consider Jesus the apostle. Now, apostle, like many other Christian words, were words they stole from, from the language of the day. So an apostle was actually an admirable, no, admirable, an admiral of a fleet of ships. And what apostles would do is they'd go and find lands they wanted to colonize. And they would go in, and if there was a fight to be had, they'd kill the dudes. Then what they would do is they would bring all the ships into the river or the harbor, and they would unroll a city. So the Romans would bring in, they would come in, that first thing they'd do, put a road in, Then they'd put sewer systems in, they'd put hot baths in, they'd put a little space for a courthouse, a little space for like a Supreme Court vibe. They would set up a Roman city the Roman way. That way, the culture and the way of Rome would be in existence everywhere they went. When Jesus comes, he's the apostle. And he comes down to earth and not as God. He is God, but he leans into the Holy Spirit to bring, as a man, he leans into the Holy Spirit and then brings the kingdom of heaven everywhere he goes. And so he starts by casting out demons and preaching Bless your enemies and forgive. And he he preaches message after message that turns their Bibles upside down. And then he heals the sick. And he's everywhere he's going, he's apostling. He's going, This is how you should live. This is how you should walk. This is how you should think. This is how life should be. So consider him. Just think about him. Man, he's magnificent. He has a tax problem, he goes fishing. It's just unbelievable. He runs into people. Some he rebukes. Some he just loves. He sees someone who's losing his kid and he races out to heal them. And on the way, he gets stopped by a lady with an issue of blood and he just stops and completely engages and loves her. He's so fully present. You just consider him. You just start thinking about him. You know, as you consider Jesus, faith rises. So he says, he's an apostle. And then you can, I mean, we could do anything, but he says he's a high priest. So Chevian spoke so well about this. He said the, the role of the high priest was to inspect the sacrifice, to make sure that the sacrifice was without blemish because if the sacrifice was perfect, the person was forgiven. So Jesus comes as a high priest, but he's not just the high priest who administers the sacrifice. He's also the sacrifice itself. And so as high priest, he takes the sacrifice before the Sanhedrin to be judged, to find out whether it's without sin, and he takes his sacrifice to the political parties, and they say he is without sin. Everywhere he goes, they can't find a reason to kill him, but eventually they make one up so that he'll be killed, and he is sacrificed, a perfect sacrifice, so that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin and inspect your sin, he looks at the sacrifice and inspects the sacrifice and goes, Jesus is perfect, you're holy. It is so beautiful. Consider this, just think about it. Then he says, he goes on with this ramble about Moses. Moses is a builder in the house, but God's more than a builder. Basically, you know how this works. If, if you're a client, you wanna build something, you get an architect in. The architect tells the builder what to do. Builder goes and does it. So here's, here's what he's saying. Jesus is like the architect. God is like the owner. Jesus tells Moses, the builder, what to do. And Moses, he's faithful. But Jesus isn't just the architect. This was like a family dynamic. God hired his son as the architect. So now he doesn't just administer the house being built. He owns the house and you're the house. What does that mean? Here's what it means. When it comes to religion... Moses is like the top dude. You know what a religion is? A religion is some dude goes, meets with some angels or something, and comes back and tells you how to do life, okay? When it comes to religion, Moses beats Buddha, beats Joseph, whatever his name is with glasses. He, he beats all the other religions. He's, he hears straight from God, gives perfect instruction, But Christianity isn't a religion because in Christianity, Jesus the Son doesn't tell you how to get to heaven. Jesus the Son comes to you and brings heaven. It is unbelievable. Everything else, every other religion is, how do I get to God? Christianity is Jesus, comes to you. You just have to open your heart. It is unbelievable. Consider this. Now here's what happens. Especially when you're sitting there and going, flip, business is hard. Man, teaching those demon children is hard. Sorry, beautiful children. Wow, doing friendship in this time is so hard. When you're sitting there and doing that, and you start considering Jesus You know what happens to your heart. You just, somehow it just starts to fill with faith. Consider this Jesus who rescued you and made you righteous and has a way and he's got a coin in a fish's mouth and he'll get you out of this. Just consider Jesus. And then lastly, four minutes to preach my biggest point. He says, the confession of your faith. If you want to get out of unbelief, you want to get out of despair, you have to make God the confession of your faith. Now, let me, let me try and explain this. In Romans 10, it says, for it is by believing with our hearts and confessing with our mouths that we are saved. Now, in Christianity, if you want there to be power, there has to be a believing here and a confessing here. It's when those two things are lined up that you start to see power released, which is why the Bible talks about your, your what you speak being a weapon. When you speak it out, it literally gets bigger. Now you know how this works because you remember when you had a vibe with her, or him. You, you remember when you really liked that person, maybe you remember. long time ago. It's getting longer by the, by the sentence. It was very manageable. All those feelings that were going on inside of you were very manageable until you spoke them out. And when you, once you spoke them out, you were dead. Then, then it was either escalating or dying. Something was happening. The moment you speak, it gets bigger. You can tell when a person's changing by their confession. You see, when you like, I remember when I was like 19, 20, 21, 22, the amount I read and the amount of podcasts I was listening to, it was, I mean, I consider myself a reader, but it was off the charts. I was just reading and consuming, but I was not changing until my conversation began to change. Because it was only when my talk began to shift that what had happened was what I was hearing and consuming was becoming part of who I was. It was going through the mind into my heart. It was starting to form an integrity when I started to speak it out. And the thing about the power of God is that you won't get power until heart, head, and mouth are aligned. This is why the the prosperity, name it and claim it thing, is ridiculous. I claim that car. It's the dumbest thing in the world. It's hocus pocus. Because firstly, your head, heart, and mouth can't be aligned. There's no integrity. It's just dumb. But when our heads and our hearts are aligned and we speak something out, it starts to get power. In fact, James talks about it. It It says that, it is by the engrafted word of God that you are changed. But you think about a grafting. Okay, so Jacques needs hair. He takes it from somewhere else. I'm terrified to nowhere. And he grafts it in to his receding hairline. And in that moment, once it's grafted in, once it sticks, what begins to happen, (laughs) some of you can't hear anything else I say. Once it sticks it now has power to make him look 20 years younger. It is the engrafted word of God that changes you. When when I preach, I say 2,000-something words, but I'm hoping that two or three sentences will stick because I know if they stick, it'll transform you. It sticks when you've consumed it in your mind, in your spirit, and then it is given power when you speak it. Now, why is this so important? Because there are so many voices. There are Bri voices, there are News24 voices, there are ESCOM voices, there are crime voices, there are parents' voices, there are friends' voices. There are so many voices. And when their words stick and then you speak them, you either give life or death to your future. If you want to get out of unbelief, you be very careful what you say. You see, Christianity, getting out of the unbelief into the faith space that is full of rest and has power is all about hear it, engraft it, speak it. There are some of us who today need to hear it again, hear it, engraft it, and then speak it. My God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, no matter what is happening in the economy. My Lord made me righteous by his one sacrifice for all time on the cross, no matter how I'm feeling about myself. He has chosen me. I have purpose in this place right now, here today, no matter what everybody's saying. You see what I'm doing? I am confessing what I have ingested that is now producing power. If you want to get out of unbelief, Get yourself an exhorter. Make sure you just consider Jesus and then begin confessing it. Now, you're going to go out today and just turn to someone and say, It's about to be holidays. (laughs) Use your words like a weapon. Make sure you don't waste your holiday whining about the country and bringing death to stuff. Use this holiday to exhort and to consider Jesus and to confess things. Because if you will do that, you'll come back and your spirits will start to become alive and you'll be able to see things that you haven't been able to see and you will be able to speak into being what is not currently in existence. And though it will be a fight, let me, let me end with this. You know what God says in the beginning? It's, there's chaos and darkness. And what that word actually means is it's like it's evil and it's disruptive. That's really what it means. And God says, let there be light. When he speaks, he says, let there be. When I say let there, it's like someone's bullying my kid. And I go, let him go. It's a word of a fight. Let there be peace. You know, in your home, you can try to sort out peace with arguments, and then you just get better arguments. But the moment I say, let there be peace, it's it's a term of a fight. I'm using my words now to fight. As you go into this holiday, use your words to let there be the kingdom of God and not let there be more death through my words about this world we live in. Amen. 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 May God bless you and fill you. Have a great holiday.